0: You're listening to She Starts Up, season two. Today, I'm talking with marketing executive and mother of three, Amanda Goetz. Amanda is the VP of marketing at The Knot Worldwide and mother of three small children. Join us as we speak about starting a company, being a business leader, and her decision to freeze her eggs. Let's start up. You're listening to She Starts Up, a podcast for ambitious businesswomen and modern working moms to learn strategies for starting their venture and family at the same time. Tech CEO and working mom, Janine Sickmeyer, will take you on a journey from building a business to surviving motherhood with four under four. Each week, Janine shares tips and interviews successful women to hear their journey so you can find balance and
1: confidence to turn your startup ideas into reality. Here's your host, Janine
0: Sickmeyer. Let's start up. So today I'm talking with Amanda Goetz. Amanda and I first actually connected on Twitter. She has an amazing online presence and tweets really valuable advice for women and business leaders about everything from marketing to the very real journey of going through a divorce and freezing her eggs, all while being a mother to three little ones. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you could give our audience your bio, that'd be great. Yeah. Hey, thank you so
1: much for having me. So, hey, everybody. My name is Amanda Goetz. I am the VP of Marketing at The Knot Worldwide, which is The Knot. A lot of things, weddings. We have The Bump, The Nest, Wedding Wire, and we're in 17 countries around the world. Um, So I speak about weddings a lot. And prior to that, so I started my career actually in professional services. I did marketing for hedge funds and tax CTOs um, at Ernst & Young. Then after a few years in professional services, I kind of, like many people, got burnt out and went to the wedding industry where I managed a brand for a celebrity wedding planner. So got exposed to reality TV, licensing deals, and also planning high-end weddings was, you know, 30% of my job. So I have planned, fun fact, over 150 weddings in my life Wow! (laughs) and then saw a lot of opportunity within the wedding space and a lot of problems that needed to still be solved as a wedding planner. So I found a co-founder and actually launched a tech startup For the wedding industry to solve the availability problem. So, we're trying to stop people from basically saying, Are you available? which I found myself saying all the time when I was planning multiple events. Yeah. Um, So, that was a huge learning experience. I did it for about two years. I had my first baby. We launched the beta of the program when I was eight, when my baby was eight weeks old so lots of craziness happening there but then did that for a few years can talk at length about all the things that i learned that i did wrong but uh i was running out of capital and one night i was at a female pitch night and the founder of the knot carly roney who is incredible and was a mentor of mine for a few years prior to that she was on the the kind of panel of judges and she pulled me aside and she was like, let's grab coffee tomorrow. And in that coffee meeting, she basically was like, Hey, whenever you're ready, I really want you to come do marketing here. And so I did a long, hard look at what was happening with my startup and what, what was happening just in the macro investor space. I couldn't raise capital. I was a first time female founder. I was non-technical my co-founder was non-technical so there were a lot of things working against me and I was ready for kind of a new challenge so talked to all of my team we all agreed that it was the right move so I five years ago went to the knot and over the past three years four years um, helped rebrand reposition the knot to make sure that it was relevant to today's couples and the couples that will be coming in the next five, 10 years. And then a year ago, we actually got acquired by a private equity firm, which was a really awesome experience to be on the integration team, understand how to merge. We merged with our um, competitor at the time, and now we're one big happy family, wedding wire. And yeah, so it's been a whirlwind of a few years professionally. And then, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I lead brand marketing So all things that touch our owned and earned brand channels across our our different brands. And uh, on the side, I am back to building again. So lots of moving parts
0: that I'm sure we will dig into more. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a great, great intro. Um, And just hearing about how you've kind of touched all of the parts of building a business all the way through to, um, being on the integration team for an acquisition of that size. That's amazing. Um, so, and then, uh, okay. So first I want to know, like in, when you were building your company, um, your startup and you were like non-technical first time female founder, um, did you go out and raise capital?
1: I did not at first we had a really solid idea and my co-founder, I met him through, I was on a, a board for a nonprofit and he was on the board with me and he was a serial entrepreneur. And he knew kind of how to get things off the ground. And I knew the subject matter. I knew the industry. I knew who to talk to, to make sure that we could validate our hypotheses very quickly. So between the two of us, we felt competent in getting at least a beta off the ground without capital. And we did. We you know onboarded over 200 vendors. We had uh, people utilizing the platform. We had a CTO. He did all the calendaring architecture for the United States judicial system. So when are courts available? So it was uh, directly applicable to what we were trying to build, but he was doing it part-time. He couldn't quit his job. He had a family until we raised capital. So he helped us build. I had a freelance designer in Serbia. We had two engineers working part-time in Texas. So we kind of had this distributed team and it was awesome. But when you're building a technical solution as complex as a calendaring system for uh, user segments that span from as simple as a mom and pop venue doing calendars on paper all the way to, you know, Westin hotels having their own built-in system, you need a very complex, um, a, a very, uh, deep engineering team. You need to make sure that you have technical solutions for all different parts. And so that's where we realized we needed to raise capital. And so it was about a year in, I went out to try to raise, we had proof of concept, we had testimonials and people asking for this. And I mean, the one validating thing is I work for the biggest, you know, wedding company in the space. And it is still something that it's not easily easy to solve, but it is still a problem for the industry of just how do we provide efficiency and velocity for people planning weddings. So anyway, going back to the fundraising piece, I went out and did all the things that they tell you to do in terms of, you know, it's a numbers game. You talk to as many people as possible, which obviously takes you away from the day to day. Like raising capital is a full-time job. I know you know this. And so I was hitting the ground, having tons of means. I was at night going to pitch nights and I had a baby at home too. So it was juggling daycare or, you know, who can help with the kid while I would run to a meeting and come back. So I, there were times where I was taking phone calls from our bathroom because my apartment was tiny. I was living in a studio at the time. So I would take a call from the bathroom just in case the baby woke (laughs) up and she started crying so that way you couldn't hear in the background. But Yeah. So it was a wild time, but the thing I kept hearing over and over again was just like, you don't have a technical Um, Mm co-founder. And and honestly, I couldn't even get a lot of the meetings because just, I was a first time female founder and this was back Mm -hmm. in 2011 and 12 when investing in females was not as cool or, you know, motivated as it is now.
0: Completely. This is, it's like, you're telling my story. This is like, it's so crazy because, okay. For our audience, I, um, I just came across Amanda on Twitter, like, I don't know, maybe like a couple months ago. And I don't even remember how, um, we got connected, but as soon as you, I started seeing, um, you know, what you were writing, I was like, wow, she's so like, has a very similar, um, background to, to me. And, Um, a similar story. And like, we just like, I don't know, we just like connected really well. It's like everything you say, I'm like, I could have said that. (laughs) This is crazy. You just immediately get each other when it's like, oh yeah, I get this. Totally. Like both having young children and like building startups. And this is so the same thing. Like I, I was a first-time female founder building a tech company non-technical went out to raise capital um, after you know about a year of trying on my own um, same thing like I you know and it was in 2011 2012 and I think um, it's it's super hard I mean I was um, I didn't have my first kid until 2015 um, but you know I was like in the I was engaged at the time and there was very different conversations like from before before I got engaged when I was doing the, um, you know, the runaround trying to talk to investors to when I, it was like this whole period. And then cut in between is when I got engaged, I would go back out to, to raise, um, to these meetings for follow-ups and stuff. And they'd see my ring and just walk away. It was crazy. I was like, what? So it was, it was definitely um i mean nobody invested in in women and um mm-hmm. the questions i got were like when are you starting a family now that you have a ring when are you having a kid the, i mean and i'm sure yeah. you got all of that it's so wild it was like impossible and i i think it would be much different now i would sure hope yeah. um but yeah i was like really curious about how your experience was trying to raise and um because I, I figured it would probably be similar since it was just a right around that time. And gosh, it's, it's tough. even. Yeah. Now. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't know about you, but the experience that I had six, seven years ago shaped how I am just mm-hmm. on social media, et cetera, because, yeah. and, and I get a lot of comments like, wow, you're super transparent. You're very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And one, I'm naturally like that anyway. I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. I I just want people to get to know me as a human. And I believe in human-led leadership and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, I also feel like it's my job to normalize some -hmm. of these conversations, whether it's freezing my eggs or going through a divorce. I, I, I'm going through these things and the fact that there's such stigma around things that many people go through still today, Mm -hmm. what I was experiencing in 2012 fundraising, no one was talking about publicly because it was still taboo and we didn't make space for women on cap tables in, in in portfolios, et cetera. And so now I'm even more vocal about it the second time around of what my experiences are, because we need to normalize this stuff and make sure that there's change happening.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. And even with like the failing of, of a startup and mm-hmm. failing, I think that that's something that, um, I, I was drawn to when I saw you talking about that. And, um, and you know, I think I remember like, as I was building my startup, I felt like when people asked me to, you know, be on this, um, to, to be in, you know, a a speaker at this presentation or, Mm -hmm. you know, at a talk at, um, startup week or something, I was like, you know, I haven't succeeded. Like I haven't done anything except, and Oh, what's funny is I also, um, had a team in Serbia and I still do. We have an office in Serbia. Yeah. (laughs) I have a whole full yeah, it's like our our development team is all in Serbia and our research team. So we have like, yeah, but and that's, that's where amazing. I found um my first freelance like contract um developer. And now, yeah, and we we bring, you know, they they come here to Columbus all the time. And so that was really interesting when you said that too. I'm like, Serbia, oh my gosh. Oh my so gosh, amazing. that is I crazy. Know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like this, you know, this feeling of like you didn't actually succeed yet. Like, or, you know, Mm -hmm. that like the imposter syndrome, um, not being able to like speak on a topic because you feel like, you know, somebody else knows it better than you and all that. And I think that that's where like, I, I want to totally, I agree with you, like normalizing that failure happens. That's okay. Like it's okay to, to not, you know, To not have an acquisition or for it to not be what, you know, like those big unicorn companies do. I mean, maybe, you know, I think defining success is, um, you know, on your own terms is really helps with that. And I always Mm -hmm. try to talk about that too. And I see that you do as well about, um, you know, just like celebrating failure.
1: A hundred percent. And I I was just having this conversation with an entrepreneur, a male entrepreneur who you know, had a successful exit with his first and now was on his second. And this was prior to me starting to build again. And I was like, you know, I just like confidentially, like just have such imposter syndrome still, even though I know I learned more in that two years than I did in the 10 years prior in my career of what it's like to build a company. And I know that the skills I learned during those two years made me so much more uh, attractive to bigger companies because Mm -hmm. I know how to build a product so I can be empathetic to product management. I know how to manage a backlog. So I know how to talk to engineers and make it uh, like help them understand value props and why something Mm -hmm. is important to the users. I understand user research and how to uh, quantify things that people understand it. So, it makes you, all the things that you learn make you, even though you're on the macro level and to yourself, you're failing. When you take those skill sets outside of just a small startup and you apply them, many people do not have that like all trades scenario. But so going back to my conversation with this male founder, he's like, you will, when you build again, you will see how much smarter you are the second time and how much easier it is even for him who had a successful exit in the first one it's so much easier and he's mm-hmm. like so confident in the decisions he's making and how he's approaching fundraising and i think for women if we if we don't do something well the first time we're so much harder on ourselves yeah. and we're like oh i wasn't made to do that so i'll do something else mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people that I've spoken to who did the startup thing, I have a whole group of women that I was in a lot of meetups with that we were all building at the same time back in, you know, 2011, 2012, 13. And a lot of them aren't building again
0: mm-hmm.
1: because of that reason. And I, to anybody listening out there, if you've tried something and failed the first time, chances are you won't make the same mistakes twice and you're going to be smarter the second time because you have that experience and experience is the best lead teacher in anything. And so I would ins- definitely push you to reconsider building again if you can.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great message because that is something you see all the time that is especially with women that it's just you try something you think yeah this this isn't for me I mean you know a, a musical instrument uh, a, you know a sport anything and you're like, no, I wasn't really good at that and then you stop and you don't want to do it again. It's the same thing building a company um, So I noticed with next chapter like when when I built that product first um, you know it took a really long time to build we didn't have the resource it didn't really know what we were doing, it was all just like, you know, it took, it just took a long time. I think now that we're building these other products, um, Mm -hmm. alongside of it, it's like, we can get something done in a couple of weeks because we already have all the experience from, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the tools to use the team to use, you know, how we're going to approach it. It's just, it's so much different now. And yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, so how was it, like when you transitioned from founder to employee, how did you feel about, you know, kind of like losing that, um, you know, that product and the the team and, you know, now you're like an employee of a large company. Like what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, I think the company that you go to after being a founder, the culture is almost the most important thing that you need to think about and look at. And because I was hired by the founder of the company to come in and really think about how to keep it innovative and um, relevant as a brand and a product, I actually had a really smooth transition because there weren't as many people there that spoke both marketing and product mm-hmm. and there was almost a thirst for someone to come in and help navigate and when when you think about products in general if you don't have somebody zooming out and thinking about the macro competitive landscape and where the opportunities are to meet your user needs, and you've just set up your product or to just iterate on existing products to make them the best that they can be, you can iterate on something for years and continue to iterate on it. You can find new ways to make this button a little bit better, the click-through rate over here a little bit better. Um, But it was really awesome for me to be able to come in and say, I know this industry, like the back of my hand, I have planned 150 weddings. Let's, let's talk about where the bigger opportunities are. Mm -hmm. And the, I was so lucky in that the CEO at the time just really welcomed that and appreciated that and gave me a seat at the table very quickly Mm -hmm. to help guide product strategy, brand strategy, And I got to work with Pentagram, which was an incredible experience to refresh the entire visual identity of the knot. We went from the like a little bit more feminine, a little bit more, you know, etiquette driven brand that we were, you know, Mm -hmm. tell you how to do weddings versus uh, make you feel guilt free about whatever you choose for your wedding, which is kind of the evolution that we've, we've taken over the past few years, which I believe really speaks to today's couples who are getting married. They want to do whatever is uh, reflective of who they are as a couple and they don't want to be told what's right and wrong. So there's so many things that I've gotten to do that as a founder, you love putting your fingerprint on something. You love to know Mm -hmm. that like, ah, I like helped do that. I helped build that. And luckily I I have had that need satiated at the knot for the past five years, and even now, as a 50, uh, we're like seventeen hundred employees, which is crazy to think about. My team has grown immensely across several different offices and countries. I still I, now I feel I am shaping people than products, so I think more about my leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been the area that I've been really focused on, but I think founders are just growth minded people in yeah. general. They're just always wanting to make themselves better and I'm thankful that I even work for a company that values that you want to build something again, and uh, you can be open and transparent about that and doing it on your you know own time. So it's definitely an innovative culture. I, I don't feel like every founder has had that case and I can't Mm -hmm. speak to those, but, um, but I've been very fortunate.
0: Yeah. So I want to know about, um, a little bit about like early on, you talked about your, um, the celebrity wedding and, Mm -hmm. um, and the different weddings that you've, you know, that you've planned. And it just sounds like such a little girl's dream, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, is this a Hallmark movie? What is happening? Like, it totally sounds like, um, something that I think like everyone at some period, uh, you know, every girl at some period has wanted to do. Um, what was like one of the weddings that stands out to you that was like the coolest or most unique or, um, you know, the craziest story. Oh my Tell gosh. us something juicy.
1: <laughs> oh, I could, I mean, this could be its own podcast because right? I have yeah, sure. so many stories. Uh, it is a really amazing job for that. You're a part of someone's family because for a 12 to 14 month journey, you are at really big milestone moments, whether it's trying on someone's like first wedding dress, being at their cake tasting, uh, you're really a become a part of someone's family. And I am definitely a people person. I mm-hmm. love just like getting to know people, what makes them tick, what makes them happy. And that was the really awesome part. The wedding days itself, just like anyone listening <laughs> that has watched yeah. wedding planner with JLo, it is <laughs> not it is yeah. like 10 times crazier than that. You are <laughs> not always that organized. Mm-hmm. And um, you you find yourself like eating in a closet because you haven't eaten all day and you don't want the guests to see you eating yeah. the chicken breast. <laughs> but I guess the most crazy <laughs> wedding that I did was um, actually outside of Charlotte. I won't say who because I can't, but uh, the mom did not want... Um, any venue that was available to her. So we actually built a wedding venue and it, from the ground up, I was flying to Charlotte like every other week, meeting with contractors, picking out what chandeliers, what sound system, we built a wedding venue from the (laughs) ground up. And it was to the point where the two days before the wedding, we're still like painting beams and making sure that like everything was done, but it was, it was the most beautiful wedding ever. And it was so cool to just see something that you tangibly like had a hand in building. So that was pretty crazy.
0: That is cool. Was it a large wedding? Yeah, it was
1: about 300 people.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's a lot. And, yeah. um, 60 at ours, I think it was super intimate, really fun. But, um, I, so has this like, were you married before you started all of this? Yeah. Like- so I actually got engaged at
1: 19 Okay. And married at 21. Okay. So I was, uh, summer between junior and senior year of college. I'm from okay. the Midwest and mm-hmm. it's definitely who I was at 19 is definitely very different than who I am now in my 30s. Oh, yeah. And, you know, cultural Completely. imprinting is so like I did, I was not self-aware enough at 19 to understand my cultural imprinting and upbringing of what mm-hmm. it was like to have be, you know, I'm a first-generation college grad. My parents, neither of my parents went to college. My mom, you know, is a stay-at-home wife, and my dad is a plumber, and I was really taught at a young age that a lot of your identity comes from who you marry and mm-hmm. how they support you and not really that you could support yourself and be independent. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I did get married very young, and mm-hmm. so I had already done the wedding thing years before I started planning other people's weddings.
0: (laughs) So, okay. So tell me about, like you said, you're, you're so transparent, you know, you've been talking a lot about, um, going through this divorce, having three children at the same time. Um, and now, um, your experience with like deciding to freeze your eggs. And so I kind of want to hear about all of that because it's really interesting to me. I was going to, um, message you about it. I was like, let's just put it on the (laughs) podcast because yeah, (laughs) yeah, then other people can hear and it could be something that, you know, isn't like, there's no stigma behind it. There's, you know, nobody should feel like, um, like, Oh, are you freezing your eggs? You know, like whispering about it. It should just be something to talk about. So yeah. So talk to me about like your decision to do this and you know, um, how you knew that it was like, the right time for you. And if you have any advice for um, other people, you know, just, yeah, I want to hear about it.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, people say things that you just are like, really? You're actually (laughs) going to say that to me. So yes, I have three kids and they're ages six, four and two. And the amount of times when I would say publicly that I am Going to be freezing my eggs. And I would get DMS being like, don't you have enough kids? Aren't you, aren't <laughs> oh you a little gosh. old? Like, don't oh, you have enough on your hands? And I, I needed to educate people on, I am freezing my eggs. That does not mean that whatever those eggs, however many come out, that they're all going to turn into children spontaneously. Yeah. Like I have the choice mm-hmm. to decide, but, um, so to, to help whoever's listening understand how i came to that decision and again this everybody should have the power to make whatever decision is right for them i have friends that have gone through divorce that are like listen i know i do not want more kids and i'm good with that and i've made peace with that um for me personally my decision came from uh you know i'm i'm mid 30s i'm 34 this year and i have young children but I also know that in five years, when I, well, let me take a step back. When I think about who I was five years ago, making a decision for myself today, I would not be okay with that. If, if 29-year-old Amanda was making all the decisions for 34-year-old Amanda, I would not be okay with that as the 34-year-old that I am now. And I don't think it's um, wise for 34 year old Amanda to make decisions for 38 or 39 or 40 year old Amanda, because Mm -hmm. I don't know what my life will look like then. And I will learn new things about myself, about my life, my, my career, et cetera. And so for me, the stress of making the decision of if I want more kids right now was too stressful. And so when I looked at my options, optionality to me became the most important thing. I wanted to have the option. If, mm-hmm. I, if, if I decided at 39, 38, 40 that I, was, I had met somebody, I was happy and that person wanted kids and I was in a place where I was totally open to that, but then I couldn't because mm-hmm. of my body or, or whatever, a multitude of reasons, mm-hmm. I'd be really upset. Because I didn't have the option, so i I looked into it, I made the decision, and for me, it gave me just a um, sense of calm and it, mm-hmm. i I am very thankful my process was actually I mean, I just had my retrieval two weeks ago, so if anyone is ever looking to talk through like what that process looks like, I will say it's and I speak pretty publicly about how messed up. I won't cuss on this because normally I do, but I will (laughs) be too, Um, (laughs) um, but how messed up it is that it's not covered by more insurance or by employers because it's so expensive and I was not prepared. I I knew it was, but I kind of was still in sticker shock at how expensive Mm -hmm. it was. And there are definitely ways to make the most out of your medicine. Like I went and got new medicine every day. I would mm. only take the the exact dosage for that night until I got the green light to get more dosage. And so I made sure that I wasn't buying more medicine than I needed to. Okay. And that helped that cut, I think about $3,000 off of my total costs because yeah. I just went and, and got new medicine every single night. But I did the retrieval two weeks ago, um, and I guess three weeks now is before the global pandemic. Yeah, and yeah, and so the the process itself is very time consuming. I was not prepared for like the hormonal effect. Mm-hmm. I was definitely more hormonal than I anticipated I was going to be, and it it's very uncomfortable. But um, I think above anything else, it was really empowering to me that yeah. I now know. I have seventeen cute little eggs on on ice and on hand, yeah, on hand. If, and, yeah. and if the day comes that I want to uh, start a family with someone else, um, I have options. So, yeah. again, to everybody, like I just want women out there to feel like one: if you want to freeze your eggs, you shouldn't have to whisper about it. To your point, point. Yeah. and two, optionality and giving yourself that power is such like an awesome feeling
0: yeah that's so that's so true and so I mean, I've thought before like why isn't this just something that when you're when you're you know twenty or something and you're why doesn't everyone just i mean I know it's expensive, and I know that there's you know, but i'm like why why isn't this something that's more normal that we can just be like, okay, now you have a chance to freeze your eggs and then women, you know, can, um, do whatever it is that, that they want without having this fear of like, oh, if I start a company, you know, then, um, I can't also start a family. And I hear that all the time. Like, yep. and, um, like they're mutually or, exclusive. yeah. Or, you know, they want to like wait and see what's going to happen with, um, you know, this promotion or, you know, or if I have a child, that's gonna ruin like time that I want to spend traveling or whatever. Yep. People say this stuff all the time. And it's like, so to your point, having the option to have children later, whether you have them now or not, um, mm-hmm. you know, is just exactly. like really, really important. And I completely agree that it should be covered by, I, I love the um, companies that cover adoption and egg freezing and, you mm-hmm. know, um, that help with those. Um, expenses um infertility treatments because this stuff is not cheap and it's not your fault that you can't have children right then or but you know that's something that's such an important part of your life and um if, if it is then you should be able to you know start that family when you're when you're able to and and have the means to do it and i think that you know there's just there should be more options for you know for women to um to be able to do these things so totally I completely totally. agree. So with the um the treatments, was it like was it like um fertility treatments where you're like you're given medicine and um I, I don't really know the process. Is there yeah, any like talk um, through it
1: very yeah. at a high level? So I was
0: gonna say I'm sure it could get super detailed, but I'm like interested in what the process is in general.
1: Yeah, you go and you start doing blood work just to see when your cycle like timing, et cetera, and they check to mm-hmm. make sure that you're like healthy. And luckily because I had had kids, um, they knew that I didn't have a, any fertility issues, etc. Mm-hmm. I did use fertility treatments to get pregnant with my first. And then my second was a complete surprise. So, I could, and then again, the third was also a surprise yeah. because we had so many issues with our first, but, um, it's, it is like an IVF cycle because you're retrieving the eggs. And then instead mm-hmm. of, um, instead of creating embryos and reimplanting, which is what IVF is, uh, you're just taking the, the follicles and then freezing them. So you're not actually turning them to embryos, but at a high level, once you get the green light and they can tell when you're ready and you're about to start your cycle, you basically every night at the same time, you're doing a series of injections, anywhere from two to three to four injections. And it's actually crazy. Like, you, you are acting like a nurse, like you are mixing solutions. And at first it was really scary. The first night I was like shaking, watching these YouTube videos, but then it's crazy how we just like get better at something and it becomes like second nature. And so you do the injections. It's not fun, but I had Oreos that were my special treat after I got through it. So I would have my Oreos and milk after I got through it was my like (laughs) (laughs) treat. Uh And I actually found a friend just honestly through Twitter from being vulnerable and saying I was starting it, someone uh, reached out and I had never met this woman in my entire life. And we became text friends where we would text each other every night when we were about to do our shots, kind of cheer each other on and then we text afterwards. And then we would give each other updates on our, um, on our. Doctor appointments. So you would go to the doctor every two to three days, and they would measure your follicles. And the, the every day your follicles grow a little bit, and they're doing a count to see how your follicles are coming along. They want the magic number was, I, I think, for everyone, but around twenty-one is the magic number of the size. And mm-hmm. Once you get close to twenty-one, and they're basically wanting as many of them to be a, as close to twenty-one, then you go in for the retrieval. And the retrieval is actually the quickest process I've ever you go in, change your clothes. They take you into a room. You get an IV. You take a nice 30 minute nap. They retrieve you wake up. Uh, and then, then you're like within 30 minutes, you're basically walking out the door. Oh, and wow. it was crazy how, um, just incredible the doctors are. They treat it very, just like, yep, no, you'll be fine. I had a little bit of more pain. So they did give me painkillers afterwards. Mm-hmm. Some people it's just, I I thought I had a high threshold of pain, but it just feels like the worst period cramps of your entire life for like just a few days. And then you're just like sensitive for about a week after just because your ovaries were bigger and they're going back to normal. But yeah, overall, uh, I'm so happy I did it. And it's not, uh, it's not a horrible experience.
0: Yeah. How, how many is like, typical to be able to, um, during the egg, re- like during the retrieval,
1: honestly, it, it's less about numbers because people, yeah. I like think, get really fixated on what number, because at the end uh-huh. of the day, it's about like, you could have, I don't know, tw- let's call it 20 eggs retrieved, but only 10 of them are healthy. Yeah. And you could have 10 eggs retrieved and all 10 of them are healthy. Yeah. And, and then also like post freezing, all of them could Survive racing, or some of them because So, mm-hmm. it's it's the numbers game. I think drives people crazy when yeah. they start to get fixated on a goal number mm-hmm. because it is all an uns a game of uncertainty. Yeah. So you kind of just are like what I have is what I have. Mm-hmm. Some people I know will be like, okay, if I only got like five healthy eggs frozen, I want to do it one more time. And they do one mm-hmm. more cycle. And, and so it's really like doctors don't give you any recommendations. They're like, if you just want a, one baby, you only need one egg, one egg yeah. to survive. So there have been people who only had two eggs frozen and they, they still have a wonderfully healthy baby after that. So mm-hmm. I, I, Um, everybody should just like work with their doctor, make sure that they feel comfortable with whatever Mm -hmm. they get. But yeah, putting goals. I I noticed that I have so many friends that were like, I'm
0: shooting for 15 and I'm like,
1: I don't know (laughs) if you can control that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, I'm sure you can't. That's what I was wondering though. Like if, if it doesn't work out, like then do you do it again or, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting though. Um, so do you know anyone through your experience now that you've been talking about it that, um, that has, Then gone to have a child from freezing their eggs. Um. So I
1: I I'm still on the life cycle. That's like All the all of my friends are, and it's still a fairly new technology. So I don't think there are as many people unfreezing yet.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So um. Yeah. I personally don't. But if someone out there has gone through that experience, would love to talk to them because I'd be I would be curious on how that has been.
0: Yeah, that would be an interesting follow up, like to to hear from someone else. So, yeah, that's cool. Well, that's great that that now it's you know it's complete and you can have this sense of, um, you know, satisfaction and and empowerment and you know that that you're like I made this choice and this is what I wanted to do and Mm -hmm. um, you know and it's done and that's that's wonderful. I love that. Yeah, I think the
1: key there is is, it's what I wanted to do and, (laughs) and I've learned just like people no matter what will say their opinion
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: you have to just come to terms with like, this is what I chose. My therapist used to say the best thing to me. I love this like phrase. She was like, you're going to work to make a decision. And then the rest of the work is making that decision, the right one for you. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, there's no right and wrong in life. You make a decision. And then the rest of the time there's no room for guilt or, you know, Feeling like you made the wrong decision. It's all about just like okay, this is my decision, and how do I make that right for me going
0: forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So, I speaking of um, therapists, I actually have a meeting with my therapist here soon. Ooh, love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm really excited because I've been like uh, just taking. Oh, things have just been wild. I know you know. Um, yeah. Just being at home with so many kids. Um, so. Let's, let's leave. Is there anything that, um, you know, anything that you want to share with anyone before we go, any tips that you have for, you know, single working moms or women that are, um, that are, you know, wanting to, to start something new, um, anything else you want to share?
1: The, I guess the thing I would leave everybody with is the power of community is so important. And I keep coming across women, whether it's through Twitter or whatever, who, um, are scared to put out there that they're looking for people to like connect with. And the more you put out what you're needing or what you're wanting to do, it kind of is the, the leash that you, that you need to drag you into the thing if you're scared. And for me, starting another company was really intimidating, um, but then I just started putting it out there. And the more I put it out there, the more people wanted to like help and mm-hmm. give me advice and talk me through it and connect me with someone. So I think my first piece of advice is if you're looking, if you're thinking about starting something, just start talking about it and and finding people to talk about it with. So that's number one. And then the, the, the mom thing, I think the biggest thing uh, is about guilt. And feeling like you're not doing anything well. Mm -hmm. When you are a working mom, a stay at home mom, a single mom, a co parenting mom, whatever mom you are, you experience guilt in any shape, way, or form. I, I just, all of my friends in all of those different buckets tell me like, I feel like I'm, you know, not expanding my career because I'm staying home with my kids. I feel like I am not a good mom because I'm focused on my career. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, um, guilt is such like a negative uh, emotion. And I would just say to start empowering yourself to just feel like the thing that you are doing at that moment is the right thing for you to be doing. And how do you make the most of it? And so I set really clear boundaries of when I am working, I, it's okay for me to ignore my kids for that time. Mm -hmm. And when I am done working, when I get home from work, I I do leave work early. So that way I can see my kids on the days I have them for like an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. I do not feel guilty leaving work at 4.30 PM, three days a week, because I know I'm going to be back online at 8 PM. So Mm -hmm. I am very clear with my, my team. I say, Hey guys, heading home so I can do dinner, bath and, and bedtime with the kids be back on at eight 30. So the way I have alleviated guilt in my life is by over communicating expectations to those around me. And that includes my kids. If I'm jumping on, you know, a podcast with you, they know that for the next hour, they're going to be hanging out. And I'm not going to open the door if they start knocking, because unless someone is hurt, uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they already know what I'm working on and they they shouldn't, you know. So yeah. I think uh, over communicating expectations to everyone around has helped me just like, you know, not feel guilty all the time.
0: Yeah. I love it. And I love the, the one, um, you had a tweet that was like super popular that was about that. It was like, just, you know, like I'm going to leave at 4.30 and I'm going to tell my boss and I'm going to tell my team and I'm going to make sure everyone knows because I don't have to feel guilty about wanting to see my damn children. <laughs> and it yeah, was like exactly. Yeah. And I... I shouldn't I'm have to so sneak tired. out. <laughs> yeah. I was so tired of all this sneaking and like, oh, I have a meeting or whatever, an appointment. It's like, no, I no. want to see yeah. my children because I miss them. Like, yes. don't make me feel bad. Exactly. hundred <laughs> like, percent. I love it. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I saw that, I was like, girl, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. But, so... That's awesome. All right. Thank you so much for being on today. It was yeah. awesome to to talk with you. I'm going to turn my video back on so you can see uh, my cool <laughs> um background, but <laughs> and I'm just like disheveled
1: and you look so nice and I am not showered and pandemic. Oh, mode. This is
0: no, this is me like that was me every single day until this special momentous occasion where we have two nannies helping us all day long. Amazing. So, yeah. Okay. So it was, yeah, it was so nice to hang out and yeah, I hope that we fun. can hang out more. So thank you so much for of being course. on. Thank you for All having right. me. And we'll talk where to you can soon. everyone find you online too? Oh yeah.
1: Um, well, over the past six months, I have lo- found a newfound love for Twitter. That's where yes. I feel like thoughts are rewarded over filters and yes. you know Instagram perfect life. And so I'm very authentic off- like raw and vulnerable on Twitter. So if you dig that kind of thing and want to hear more, then find me on Twitter. I think it's just Amanda M. Gets.
0: Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks Talk to you. to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you want to use any of the tools or resources I mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes for links and subscribe to the podcast. She starts up to stay in the loop and visit my website, monamijanine.com to sign up for my weekly newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's start up.